How's everyone doing? We good? Awesome. Everyone find a community group? Everyone plugged in? Amen. Good. Good. Okay, I'll take that silence as a yes. All right, well, hey, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here uh, on staff at the church. And uh, as you know, we've been going through a three-week series entitled uh, Community. Um, And last week, what we looked at was um, uh, what we're doing in this series. We're looking at the threefold purpose, the three reasons why we emphasize community here at the church. And like Jeff said during the announcements last week, what we looked at is our identity. Not necessarily that we do community, but that we are a community thanks to what we looked at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 uh, last week is that we are a community thanks to the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. That's why community is not about us. It's all about Jesus Christ, who he is, and who he has made us to be in his image. And we represent him well as we dwell in unity together in his name because he has made us one. So we come together and we're committed to us growing in maturity in love and adoration for our Savior who has reconciled us to God and to each other. And today, what we're looking at, uh, the title of my talk this morning is Community is Not uh, About You, It's About Others. It's not about you, it's about others. And I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, but we can have this tendency where we market uh, community groups uh, 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 to you guys like you're a bunch of consumers and not the church. And so we say, hey, you need this. It's fun. It's, it's going to be good food and all these things, which, like, which are good things, but they're not ultimate things. And so community, the reason we, we emphasize community here at the transit is because we believe the biblical mandate that Jesus Christ has given us to love one another as he has loved us is impossible to do in isolation. Like you can't live out that biblical mandate to love others when you're not surrounded by other people, right? So that's why we emphasize community, and, and community, what we're going to look at today is not, a, oh, I have to do community because that bald guy up there at the microphone said I had to. It's not a have to, it's a get to. We, we get to uh, 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 be in community with one another and love one another. It's actually God's gift to us is the church, God's gift to the world. God's plan for redemption to the world, to, to, to the world is through the church. So we're going to be looking at that uh, this morning. We're going to be in John uh, chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ's last community group with his disciples and kind of what that means for us today. So quick question for you guys. Imagine if you had 24 hours left to live, what would you do? Well, if you're Tim McGraw, this is what you would do. You would go skydiving, you go Rocky Mountain climbing, and you go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. That's what you do if you're Tim McGraw. And I think when we ask ourselves that question, we immediately think of all the selfish things we would do, right? You're like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go skydiving. I'm gonna, it's going to be all about me now. These last 24 hours, man, it's all about me, and, and this is just going to be awesome. It's, I'm going to live for myself at 24 hours. Well, that's what Tim McGraw would do if you asked Tim McGraw. But if you were to ask Jesus Christ how he would spend the last days of his earthly ministry, what he would do, Jesus Christ would essentially answer it this way. I, I think in, in John 13, he said, I would have a community group. I want to be surrounded by my closest brothers and share a meal with them. And I want to serve them. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And that's the model that he's given us to go out and do now. So with that said, let's pray. And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, kind of walk through this text together and pull out the implications uh, as we do that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your gift to the community and, and what a blessing it is, uh, uh, this church, this family. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you anoint this message, your message? Would you soften hearts? Would you increase? Would we decrease? 
And uh, we leave here just seeing the joy it is to know you, Jesus, and the joy it is to dwell in community uh, with the family that you've given us to love and to serve. Uh, So we thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, verse 1. Let's dive in. Here we go. Uh, John 13, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there, and it should be up on the screen. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So we're going to stop right there. It's going to be the theme here. We're going to look at a verse at a time. And uh, here's what's going on. There's there's this contrast in the Gospel of John in verse 1 of chapter 13, where for the first 13 chapters, we see Jesus' public ministry. And in John 13, 1, we see a a transition where now Jesus' private ministry begins. And this is actually the last uh, meal, the last uh, kind of final words that Jesus is going to have with his disciples before he goes to the cross, before he's betrayed and abandoned by all of his friends and goes to the cross, kind of his Braveheart speech, if you will. And so um, literally right now, same time next week, Jesus was going to be in the tomb. And so true or false, quick question for us, Jesus was having a, sh- a stressful week, right? True. true, definitely true. So it would have been totally okay if Jesus sent the email out to all those community group members and said, hey, Peter, James, John, you know, we're, we're, we're going to take the week off, okay? Spend some time with yourself. And that would have been totally cool, right? Because Jesus is about to you know, Jesus needs some Jesus time, right? Like, he's, like some stuff's about to, to go down, right? But Jesus doesn't do that, right? We would be tempted to do that. And I, and I just canceled plans this past week uh, with some people here because I had, I was just a super busy week and I had to do a last minute, hey, sorry, you know, whatever. But that's not what Jesus did. And actually what John says that Jesus Christ did in the midst of that, 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 that stress and, and everything that was happening, Jesus, it says this, that he loved his own and he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. He loved his own, that new messianic community, the disciples, the church that he was making one, the Jew and Gentile alike. He loved his own. He loves the church. He loves his family. Remember, he's not called us individually. He's called us as a people to himself. He loved his own. And this is a beautiful piece too, is that he loved them to the end. And so what John there is talking about is both uh, uh, kind of adverbally and in a time frame as well, that up until the very the last breath in his lungs, he loved his, his disciples. He loved his own. In addition to that, his love was full. It was complete. And so I think uh, what I can glean from that is, is just the beautiful comfort it is to know that if you are in Christ, what that means is you are uh, uh, Christ's own. You're his family, and he loves his own. And he's going to love his own to the end, to the fullest And so what that means is that nothing can separate you from Christ's love for you, including you. I think a lot of times we think, oh, I I can mess this up or whatever. No, you have to to rest in the sweet fact that that God has got his hand on you and he's not going to let go. It's called perseverance of the saints. I believe you can't lose your salvation because your salvation isn't dependent on you. It's upon the Father and he's the one holding on to you and you can can just rest in that. He's going to love his own too the end, and that's exactly what he did. It's exactly what he did. It's not theoretical. It's actually practical. That's what he, literally, Jesus Christ did here, uh, having a community group with his disciples. So segue into the community group, verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, kind of an awkward 
uh, spot here to stop, but we're going to stop here. Um, so here's the setting is that Jesus is sharing a meal. It says during supper is that he's sharing a meal with his disciples. Uh, 24 hours left to live. That's what he's doing. He's sharing uh, a meal. So the email went out to all the community group members. Hey, you know, Peter responded, hey, I'm bringing the wine. John, I'm bringing the bread. Judas showed up empty-handed because that's, you know, how he, he rolls. Um, and, and speaking of Judas, what John is doing here is he's kind of building the suspense to what's about to take place at this supper. And he's giving us these, these kind of these side notes here. And here's a huge side note. He says, he mentions Judas Iscariot. And so Jesus is spending his last dinner with his betrayer. His betrayer. Can you imagine that? Like looking across the table at the guy who literally is, is, is betraying you for a couple dollars to kill you. Like he's put a hit on your head, essentially. Sharing a meal. The guy. So, so I got news for you. If there's some people in your community group you don't get along with, uh, uh, get over it. <laughs> They're not, they haven't put a hit on your head. So I think you can, I think you can uh, if anything from this narrative, choose, choose to do what Christ did and, and love difficult people and, and, and recognizing that you're a difficult person to love as well. Um, so, What's interesting is you've got to keep that in the back of your head that it wasn't just that Jesus shared a meal with this guy. It wasn't that just Jesus shared a meal with him. So John's giving this, and John gives us again in verse 3, these little side notes, and then he says this, Jesus, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, stop there. Awkward place to stop. We're going to stop there. So John, again, is building the suspense. He's really setting the scene. There's two things he mentions here that Jesus knew. One, he, Jesus knew that he had come from God and he was going back to God. His identity was secure in the fact that he was sent by God the Father. And that soon and very soon, he was, he was going back to God. And then secondly, what John points out is that Jesus Christ knew. I love this. Because honestly, when I first read, read over this, I kind of glossed over this. And we need to read scripture in slow motion. And this is um, what John said is that, Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. And so it's interesting in the Greek, what that all things means is all things. I don't know if you guys <laughs> caught that. So what that means is that there's nothing that's not under the sovereign control of Jesus Christ. That I forget how the quote goes. I'm going to butcher it. But there's not a speck of dust in this universe that Jesus Christ does not say, mine, mine. And so it's not what John is getting here is that it's not that Jesus has power. It's not that just he has authority. It's that he is the ultimate authority of the universe because it's, it's his creation. We are his creation. We're gonna, all of us are gonna have to give an account one day to him. He is the ultimate authority. And so I think what John is really pointing, why John is pointing this out right before we dive into verse four and five is, is, is what I think he wants to highlight is how did Jesus Christ use that authority? How did Jesus Christ use that status, that position? Right, if I had uh, all things given unto me were under my authority and I was looking at my betrayer, who, uh, 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 you know, Judas, I, I don't know if I would have done what Jesus did in the next couple of verses, right? I think we can kind of brainstorm how, you know, we would have used that power, like maybe a lightning bolt, middle of dinner or something, I don't know, but... Keep that in the back of your mind as we look at verses 4 and 5. That this is, this is uh, uh, their master, their teacher, their Lord, and this is the sovereign authority over the universe. And look how he models for us humility and love and service towards one another. Verse five, verse 4 through 5. Um, Jesus, being Lord over all things, 
It's kind of my rendition. Jesus being Lord over all things. Nicoma translation, and then goes into this. Jesus being Lord over all things, verse four, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So quick side note, in ancient Israel, uh, the, the practice of washing people's feet uh, was a task that was only reserved for slaves. And if you were an Israelite slave owner and you had a Jewish slaves or Gentile slaves, you wouldn't let your Jewish slave wash feet. That was reserved for the Gentile servant, Gentile slave. And um, in addition to that, when you had people over for dinner, that was the custom is that when you would come in, you'd be a good host, people walk around with open-toed sandals, all that stuff, that, that, that would be one of the first things that was done would be to uh, would be the, for the servant to wash your feet before you share a meal together. And, uh, and so that's, that's, that was the, the historical side note there, that, that concept of the fact that this was a task that was reserved for slaves, and not just any slaves, but Gentile slaves. And another uh, uh, in-depth kind of theological side note is that feet are disgusting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty in-depth there. Uh, so I'm not a huge fan of feet, quick confession. Um, I, I don't know many people that are, but here's the deal. Um, imagine, imagine feet 2,000 years ago. And I'm not just doing this to be funny, but this, is, this, this really helps us kind of really feel and imagine what, what, what went down. So these 12 grown men, open-toed sandals, walking around the dirt-covered, animal excrement-covered streets of Jerusalem, all day, feet caked, like caked in dirt and, and hair and whatever else. Man feet, nasty man feet, 2,000 years ago, not walking around in Air Jordans, not carrying nail files or toenail clippers, definitely not, no tough actin to actin. Um, and uh, and, these, and these, were, these were no joke. These were no joke. And yet what we see, what we see is that, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, yeah, yeah, this is, this is what we see, is that they're, they're already having supper. That custom of when your guests arrive, getting your feet washed, got overlooked. And, and what's interesting is none of the disciples kind of took the initiative to do that because that wasn't the custom. I'm not, a, I'm not a slave. I'm not a servant. I'm above that. That's not my status. I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't do that. So everyone's eating with nasty feet. And what Jesus does is he literally, he, he takes off his outer garments and he puts on, he's literally putting on the attire of a slave. That's what a, the, the attire of a slave, we tie the towel around your waist, fill up the water basin. And it's not just the, the outfit he's putting on, but he's also taking on the actions of a slave, just degrading. And what he does is he goes, gets on his hands and knees, humbles himself and starts, and starts rubbing feet, getting between the toes wiping off the dirt, foot by foot, toe by toe, going to the disciples. And I think if you were to imagine yourself in that moment, one of the disciples, I, I think you would just be a really awkward silence. So you'd be thinking like, oh man, I probably should have done that. I can't believe Jesus is doing this right now. He shouldn't be doing this. He's our master. He's our Lord. And no one's saying anything. It's kind of awkward. And Jesus literally has taken on the form of a servant, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, taken on the form of a servant. He humbled himself out of love for, uh, for us. And uh, that's how Jesus chose to spend his last 24 hours. Not skydiving, not riding a bull, scrubbing nasty man feet is what he did. 
and uh, we're going to see the implications um, of that later. But, but here's, here's the deal. There's, there's a couple implications here. And this is the first implication, uh, and this isn't a conclusion, this is kind of application implication as we go. But the first thing we see here is that when you look at who got their feet washed, you realize that it wasn't that Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, and then he got to Judas and skipped over Judas and then kept washing feet. No, we see that Judas actually got his feet washed, that Jesus Christ loved his enemy, Judas, his, his enemy, his betrayer, his, his essentially murderer that Jesus actually washed his feet, did the most degrading thing. Could you imagine that? The guy who's going to betray you, the guy going to betray you. Imagine, imagine getting on your hands and knees and scrubbing his feet. And that's what Jesus did. So I think the first implication we see, Christians, we have to understand this, is we're called to love people who are our enemies. And not just our enemies, we're called to love people that are different than us. We're called to love people that don't look like us, vote like us, or go to church like us. Why? Because that's what Christ has done for us. And now we get to, to proclaim through both our words and our actions who God is and what he's done for us and how we treat people different than us. And that includes, like Jeff was saying, in our community group. Like we don't want to just be surrounded by people like us. We're called to love people different than us. Uh, and there's a quote I, I heard by this one pastor, uh, Erwin McManus, and I, I just resonated with me. He says, listen, when you become a Christian, you forever forfeit the right to pick and choose who you love. You forever forfeit the right. And I saw this thing on Facebook recently. It was 50, the 50 people that Jesus Christ says you can hate. So I posted it on Facebook, and I was like, oh, man, this is, it's a t- like, I mean, it absolutely got my attention. So I click on it, and like, you read a little article, and it's like, all right, here comes the 50 you know, people that Jesus says you can hate. And then it's a list of one through 50, which is blank, just blank. And that's, that's, that's good. That's genius. Um, and uh, church, man. Would we understand that? That the Savior that we raise our hands to and, and, and praise is the one who also uh, uh, washed Judas's feet. And he's, and he's calling us this morning to, to adopt that mindset and do the same thing. So secondly, when we talk about, when we're looking at, well, who got their feet washed? We see that all the disciples, including Judas, got uh, their feet washed. But there's one person here, the text isn't really specific, but the text doesn't say, there's one person here who didn't get their feet washed. It was Jesus Christ. Never in the text do we say, and, and then Peter out of nowhere was like, you know, Jesus, now let me return the favor and wash your feet. And I think the implication there is, um, the implication is that love requires sometimes the sacrifice of your needs as you meet the needs of others. Like as you're serving others, your needs often get overlooked. But, but here's the deal, your needs aren't ultimate. That's why I, I chose to title this, this series, it's not about community, it's not about you. It's not about you and, and your needs, ultimately. That's not the ultimate. Because there is far greater joy when you can take the hit to meet other people's needs. As Christ took the hit so that we would live, now we get to take the hit so that others would live. And that there's no greater joy than that, my friends, being part of life transformation as the people of God. And that's the joy that, um, that we have. And it's more blessed to give than receive. And I had this moment, I was... Uh, a friend was over, and uh, something that I've been, been really trying to practice is hospitality. Like, if you're going to step foot into my home, I really want to be like, hey, how can I serve you coffee? You know, we don't really have any good food at our, good food at our house because, you know, whatever. I don't, you know, I don't know how to cook or whatever. So basically, it's like, I got, I got you know, these, these protein bars or whatever. I, can, I know how to make good coffee. Like, that's how I'll, how I'll bless you. And, um, and so uh, thankfully, my friend came hungry. And then I had this, I had this epiphany as, as I was watching him eat. 
my protein bars, I was like, oh, like this click, like we all know this, but I didn't really know it, that me giving him my protein bar means that like I don't get to eat that protein bar. <laughs> right? And we don't, we don't, we, we will serve as long as we don't have to take the hit. But that's not service, right? Jesus never got his feet washed. Jesus never got his feet washed. And as we, we sacrifice, as we serve, a lot of times, you know, if we're going to give that meal to that, that person that just had a newborn, that means that, hey, you know what? It means we might not eat out this week. We might forfeit uh, a nice dinner tonight so that, so that we could share the joy of Christ, who he is, what he's done for us with other people and say, look at how God has loved me, that I'm, I'm more than happy to, to, to not eat a protein bar so you can have my protein, so you can come, you can be, be, uh, feel the love of Christ in just a small way. And there's so many opportunities to do that, so many easy ways to do that, but we just never want to take the hit. We just don't want to have other people eat our protein bars, you know? But there's so much joy in that, church. There's so much joy in that. Jesus never got his feet washed. And, and uh, um, one of the last implications here before we move on is that community is messy, right? Cleaning and scrubbing 24 feet is not like a clean, like necessarily fun, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily turn that fun activity. There wasn't any like hand sanitizer or, or whatever, just a basin and a towel and all that stuff. Community is messy. And, and God's grace and his providence and his timing. Last night, my, my Uber driver uh, from the airport, we just got to talking. And I don't know if you've had those conversations before where you're like, oh man, like Holy Spirit is just like, spitting fire through me right now. We're like, the conversation is building and building. All of a sudden you're like, boom, you're in the thick of like, all right, giddy up. Like we're in, we're in an awesome conversation. And then someone is kind of speaking through you and you'll say stuff and, and you'll think to yourself, where in the world did that come from? That's gold. I was like, that was good. That wasn't me. There's no chance that would come up, not, not at 1230 when I, you know, whatever, after traveling all day. But anyways, the person was sharing, this girl, Jen, who was just awesome, who, uh, 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 I won't share all the details, but basically she's new to the area. They're two weeks, uh, basically um, moved because of, of certain things. But we started talking about the church, and she's like, I just had a jaded experience growing up. It's a really jaded experience and, and all that stuff. And I was like, hey, you know, well, she knew I was a pastor off the back because she asked me what, you know, what I was doing and all that stuff, and that really led to all of our conversations. But I told her, I was like, you know, what's, what's interesting is um, there's a story in, in, in this book called the Gospel of John, and there's a story about Jesus washing disciples' feet. I'm sure, I'm sure you heard about it, but, you know, as I was preparing for this message I'm going to give tomorrow, is this, this thought occurred to me as I was preparing is that, you know, there's, there's a simple equation to community. My nasty feet plus your nasty feet equals a lot of nasty feet. <laughs> right? It does. Community can be messy sometimes. Why? Because people are messy. And in Galatians 6, it says this, that we are called to bear one another's burdens. And so the assumption is, the assumption with that is, is we don't realize this is church, we're coming with burdens. We're coming here together with, with, with messy feet sometimes, with burdens that we're called to help each other bear. And, and the reason I share that with her is I was, like, I was like, listen, I think where the church goes wrong is we're not authentic anymore. No one is being real. We're all wearing masks and we're not. I said, I said yes, that might have been a, a bad experience, but I know a lot of awesome places with a lot of authentic people who would say, you know what? It's not that, you know, I have this all figured out. I don't have any burdens, but I have a, a burden just like you. And we're called to, to, to acknowledge that and be open and honest and confident that we can share that because of our identity in Jesus Christ. And so that just led to some awesome conversations. But I think, church, what we need to realize is, like, just get over this mask. 
get rid of this, this facade that you have everything together because the cross screams of your inadequacy. The cross basically is a de- declaration that you don't have it all together. So when you come here and you confess in your community group, oh my gosh, this is what we're going through. It's so tough. Or this is my personal struggle that I'm wrestling with. It shouldn't surprise us. That's what Christ came to do was to, to wash feet, to bear our burden so that we can be renewed. And we're called to, to model that in, in community with each other. And so, um, so anyways, it's, you might be saying, Nick, you're doing a really good job selling, getting involved in community groups right now. Like, this is Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, but here's the deal. Community is, is tough. It's a sacrifice, but it's a life-giving sacrifice. I don't want to get ahead of myself, you know, I want to, don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's a life-giving sacrifice because you're not coming selfishly for your needs to be met. You're coming selflessly for the life of others. And as you commit yourself to the glory of God and the life and love of others, your needs don't seem that important anymore. And the joy that you'll experience in that of getting on your hands and knees and, and, and kind of hypothetically washing those feet of those in your community and meeting those needs, man, you, there's no greater joy than being part of the life-transforming work of God in community. There's hands down nothing more exciting than seeing that. Way more exciting than fun. Way more exciting than a good meal at dinner. Coming together and being committed to seeing God glorified in how we love one another. There's hands down nothing more exciting than that. And that's what we want to be about is life-transforming community because I'm going to talk about this next week is that the reason CrossFit is so, you know, the greatest church in America, a.k.a. CrossFit, is because everyone's telling everyone because why? Because life transformation is happening there. Life transformation, life change is happening. Hey, come and see this community where we're, where we're, we've got this new workout, you know, we're, we're deadlifting, we're, you know, uh, uh, getting herniated discs and all this stuff. It's awesome. And uh, you, should, you should come hang out. And so that should be our model of community is the ultimate is life transformation in Jesus Christ. And when that happens and when that has happened, when we as a church are committed to that, that's when it just comes naturally for us to to say to our neighbors, to say to our friends, hey, come see, come see this awesome community where life transformation is happening. So, okay, I got to speed up here. Okay, verse six, here we go. So uh, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing now, you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. So Jesus going around, there's all the silence, and lo and behold, no surprise here, Peter's the one who breaks the silence. And Peter says, uh, 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 this is insane, Jesus, what you're doing. Just, you're, you're making yourself look ridiculous. You're not a slave. You're not a servant. Jesus, how dare you, you do this? And so here's, here's another implication is that church, is that uh, a loving the way a loving people the way Christ loved us won't make sense to the world? This kind of love is confusing. People won't understand it. They shouldn't. So what that means is, if we're doing this, people should be asking questions. People should be saying, "Hey, hey, why do you keep taking my trash out for me every Thursday night?" Or, 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 hey, you know, like they should just be asking questions. Why are you doing this? It should. And so, our ultimate goal, at church, isn't to fit in and to be cool. Our ultimate goal is to love others as Christ has loved us so that he'll be glorified, so we grow in love for him. And as we do that, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. It's not going to make sense. You're going to feel the Lord lead you to, to maybe pull over on the side of the road to cut some kid that's skateboarding, and you just stop and say, hey, I feel like God wanted me to give you these skateboard bearings I had in the back of my car for two years because you have a really bad skateboard. No offense. I didn't say that. But here you go. God loves you. God bless you and whatever. And, and living in that mindset uh, is, is a game changer. But it doesn't make any sense. It's awkward. But here's the deal. I'd rather look like a fool for Christ 
They never experience the joy and love and, 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 and just the adventure that comes from living out what he says to do. There's nothing more exciting than that. Nothing more exciting than that. It's going to be confusing to the world, but we ought to want to confuse people with the gospel, right? And I still remember when I was working at Betty's Azalea Ranch and uh, as a high school kid doing landscaping, and we delivered this rock that was the size of like Mount Everest to this lady's house in McLean, and she had us move this rock. I mean, I was about as big as I was then, so not big at all, and, and uh, she had us move this massive rock, like just right, like 10 times, all this stuff, didn't give us a tip at all. And so me and, and my other high school friend were sitting there in the front seat, and the driver was this older man in his 50s who was a believer, and I knew this because he was listening to Christian radio on the way there. And uh, me and my buddy, the whole ride back, are just complaining. Oh, my gosh, I had brought, you know, like, look at the house. I mean, she had the money to give us a tip, didn't give us a tip, and then she treated us like, you know, like we were whatever, like lower than her and, and all this stuff. And we get back, and now we're working at, on the property, and I still remember this to this day. The guy was just kind of silent, didn't say much, and he didn't, didn't have that much money. And, and he came back and he, he sought us out in the way back of that, that, uh, that area there, that landscaping company. And uh, he said, hey guys, I, I know you didn't get a tip um, and I feel bad about that, but hey, here, here are two waters for you guys. Uh, I'd be like, you know, God bless you. And, and two entitled Northern Virginia brats complaining about a tip. And this guy comes and uh, in the name of Christ gives us two, just a small gesture, two waters. And that blew my, I mean, humbled me, blew my mind. To this day, I still, I don't even know the guy's name. It was the first and last time I think I saw him. I still remember that. I still remember that. We got to confuse people with the gospel. We should be attuned to, to doing that. So this is confusing Peter. He doesn't understand it. Jesus says, what I'm doing, you, want, you don't understand now, but you'll understand afterwards. Talking about the cross. This is a foreshadowing of the cross. Uh, uh, that's going to, the, the, the anointing, the, the cleansing work that Jesus is going to do on the, the cross. And then in verse eight, Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with him. Peter's response here is accurate, right? Like your, bo- your boss, those in authority over you, they start washing your feet and you're saying, no, 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 that's not how this works. You're not going to wash my feet. And when Jesus drops a bomb and he says, no, if, you don't, if I don't wash your feet, you don't understand what I'm doing. This is symbolic. If I don't wash your feet, you don't have any share with me. You don't have a share with me. There's a cleansing, internal cleansing of our hearts that has to take place if we want to know God. And Christ is the one who, through his work, brought us that peace and that proximity to God. And so what Jesus is saying is that there's a one-to-one correlation of the external messiness of our feet and the internal messiness of our hearts. And there's a cleansing that has to take place. And so I have this pair of shoes. They're my new Sperry's, but for some reason they, they smell really bad and it's terrible, okay? And so Jen offered to put like some, some shoe powder in there. I said, no, this last week. I said, no, 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 I, I like them the way they are. Don't do that because then she's going to smell like shoes and feet and odor and whatever. So I said, don't do that. And then last day, yesterday I'm traveling and I realized that I had to put these in my bag so I could wear different shoes. And what happened was those shoes, even though I stuffed them full of uh, 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 TP and wrapped them in a shopping bag and put them in my bag, when I opened them up, everything in my bag smelled like those shoes. So what I did when I got home at 1230 is I, I went to the backyard, poured gasoline in the bag, and just burned it to the ground. Okay, just kidding. Um, but here's the deal. For those shoes that stink like that, to be in proximity, that much proximity, that closeness, that nearness to those clothes, what's going to happen is those clothes are going to take that on, right? They're going to take on that nastiness, take on that, that messiness. And here's the deal. God being a holy and, and a just God can't 
just can't do that just by his nature, who he is, is have that uh, 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 proximity to our sin. But what we see is, is in a beautiful act that Christ did for us is he actually took that on for us. He took that on for us so that we could be cleansed. So that before God, so before God, we would now be white as snow, that our feet aren't nasty. They're actually uh, shining uh, brightly and, and clean because of the humbling work that Christ has done for us on the cross. Christ has ushered that peace and proximity with us. And both of those uh, uh, are what Christ has done on the cross for us. That that cleansing has to take place for us to have fellowship with the holy and just God. That's just the way it works. And to me, that totally makes sense. And it's not up to us to do that. See, Jesus was the one who cleansed the feet. It wasn't him saying, Peter, now wash your feet. Or Judas, you wash your feet. It was Jesus who does that work. And we get to rest in that. And so, my friends, if you're here today and you've never experienced that cleansing, it's a free offer. It's a free offer. Jesus is, is, is standing here today, I would say, uh, uh, with, with a water base and a towel wrapped around his waist and saying, hey, uh, I created you to have, to have a, a relationship with me, to belong, to be near, to have peace in your heart and peace with me. I'm here with the water basin. Let me wash your feet. Would you let Christ do that? If you haven't done that yet, why are you still walking around with, with, a, with a nasty heart when Christ has promised to, to give you a new heart? The offer is there on the table. Would you, would you do that today if you haven't yet? There's no greater joy than knowing Jesus Christ and knowing God. No greater joy. Why, what, would, what would possibly hold you back from that free offer of salvation and peace with God and nearness to him? There's nothing more exciting than that. All right, moving on. Verse nine. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. So Peter's reaction, I love it. He says, Lord, not my feet also, but my hands and my head. And I think, church, what we need is this reaction that Peter had to anything that separates us from, from knowing God. I love this. I love this. Oh, oh God, these, this, this messiness is going to keep me from knowing you? Well, hey, hey, you know, I picture Peter like grabbing the basin and about to dump it over his head and be like, this is how much, this is how much I want to know you, God. I want nothing, nothing to get in the way of that. And so if you're here today, what's, what's getting in the way of that? Would that be our attitude, church? That we easily throw off these sins that so easily entangle us, not because you know, we want to be good people, but because we want to know God. We don't want anything to get in the way of that relationship. And that was Peter's heart. I love that. And the response of Jesus is essentially this. There's a lot of debate here. I'll be brief for the sake of time. But what Jesus is saying here in this response is that there's this one-time cleansing that takes place when you become a Christian right? This is what Jesus is saying. But as you uh, uh, kind of walk the dirt roads of life, if you will, your feet begin to get messy. And there's this daily cleansing that needs to take place, this daily uh, fellowship and confession and repentance that needs to take place, this daily relationship. Because you wouldn't take a shower necessarily once and then never shower again. No, we, we daily take Shower. I think that's what Jesus is saying is he's calling us, inviting us into a relationship. Like, yes, your sins, past, present, and future are, uh, are forgiven for all of eternity. You are clean, but, but, but it's, it's, you're, I'm giving you a new heart, but it's like giving you brand new software kind of on an older computer, right? We still have, we're still in the flesh. We're still in the body, but God has is, is given us this new software that's renewing our minds and our hearts, but we still have the old software um, uh, that, 
that anyways needs that daily cleansing. So that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's inviting us into that daily renewal, that daily relationship, that daily cleansing that comes from abiding in him. All right, verse 12 through 17. I'm going to read through this and then we'll conclude. So when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, you, to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, oh, this is good. If you know these things, blessed are you if you know them. Didn't say that. Blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So there's two explanations. So Jesus does this act, and then he lays out the, ex- the, the explanation and the implications to his disciples in that moment. This is one of the last things Jesus wanted to, to share with his disciples before he went to the cross. This is really important for us uh, to key in on here. And I think what Jesus is saying is essentially, this, as I have humbly served you, you are now to humbly serve one another. So the first implication here is that Jesus is calling us to a humility, that just as he took on the attire and the actions of a, of a servant, that means that there's nothing now that his disciples were not willing to do. There's nothing that, that, that they were above because there's nothing that Jesus was above in love and service to them. And so verse 14, if I, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you are to wash one another's feet. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so for me, uh, uh, here, here's the deal. Like there's, there's lots of help that needs to be done with the kids' ministry. Right, and and so we've been we've been talking about that. We've been talking to the guys, and and as been as I've been wrestling with that, you know, I've uh, haven't necessarily served that much with with kids. I'm not really a kid person, if you will. And uh, but here's the deal: I don't think Jesus was necessarily a, a foot person, but there was there was a need that needed to be met, right? And so Jesus did what needed to be done because Jesus wasn't above that. There's no, and so for us, church man, will we understand that humility, that there's no task here, that, hey, you know what, I don't, I don't do that. That's not me. Well, Jesus didn't say that about feet, you know, and that's our master, that's our Lord. So if he's willing to do that, then there's nothing that we shouldn't be willing to humbly submit to as well. And another side note, those are our, those are our, our nieces and nephews in kids' ministry, nieces and nephews in Christ. That's family. How cool is it that, we get to, that when we serve back there, we get to proclaim who God is and what he's done for our nieces and nephews in the kids' ministry. And it's just a different mindset. We're family. And so anyways, moving on. The second implication is this, is uh, Jesus gives us a beautiful example of, of, a, of a great call and a command to serve one another, to love one another. He says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And I don't think Jesus is calling us literally to, um, to wash each other's feet. Um, I think he's saying here, I've given you an example. This is what it looks like to humbly serve and love one another. It's going to be confusing. It's not going to make sense. It's going to be messy. It's going to be demeaning and degrading sometimes. But that's what, uh, this is how I have loved you. Now you also are to love one another. And here's what I'm getting at this morning. Uh, Verse 17, Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, I think, and I'll wrap up with this. I think the tragedy that I've experienced in my own life and I think that we experience in the church is that we equate Christian maturity with acquiring more knowledge about Christ. We just think, oh, the more I know, 
uh, 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 that means, and I, I, I'm a huge nerd, man. I love to, I love theology and all that stuff, but, but we, we equate that with Christian maturity. But God hasn't called us just to know. See, knowing is a means to, I would say, a greater end of putting that into action is what Jesus, I think, is saying here. He's saying the blessing comes not just from knowing this command and knowing what I've done from you and, and now you being able to be like, oh, cool, like this was a really uh, a cool story about humility and serving, and I'm really glad I know it, so now I get to share that or, you know, whatever. But what Jesus is saying is, no, it's blessed are you if you do them. And I think the danger we have in the church is we love theology, we love to study, but we, we, we don't have feet that go anywhere. We don't have hands that are ever getting messy. We don't have, we don't have knees that are ever being bent in, in service to our fellow men, uh, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And what's so funny is, like, for those of you who played sports, studying film, studying how to improve the game wasn't so that you could just acquire more knowledge about the game and sit on the bench. It was so that you could play the game better. It was everything you learned, everything you studied that film of your football player or hockey or basketball or croquet or whatever it was, the more you study those angles and study defense, study offense, all that stuff was for when you step foot on the ice, you would be prepared and ready to give it all you got. And the blessing comes when you're on the ice, when you're on the field, when you're on the court, that's when the blessing comes. I think for a lot of us here, the reason we're so stagnant in our faith and and, and not really seeing, there's not that excitement, there's not that feeling that the Lord is at work and moving is because we know a lot. We're not doing a lot. Blessed are you if you do these things. The blessing comes in the doing peace, the doing community together. And uh, John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says this, a little bit later in this chapter. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The reason we emphasize community groups at the transit is because Christ has made us a community and he's called us to model Christ, model him to each other. And this is what I've done for you. Now you, through your actions, you have the joy you have the excitement through your actions and your word to, to talk about who I am, to proclaim how good I am, how good it is to know me and what I've done for you by how you love one another. See, when you take the hit in your community group and there's a need that needs to be met, those of you in community, and you meet that need for that person, what you're saying to that person is, look how awesome God is. Look how much he's loved me. And I want, to, I want to show and proclaim this great God, this great Jesus to you by how I love you. And what John is getting at, and we're going to talk about this next week, is listen, the world is watching. The world is watching. And if you want to make much of the name of Jesus and have him be glorified, what Jesus is saying, and that's why we emphasize community groups here, is because God is glorified in us when we live this community group out. Jesus is saying, you want the whole, you want the whole world to know that, that you're the disciples of Jesus Christ? Start loving one another. Start meeting needs. Start theoretically washing each other's feet and serving one another. And there's no, community is not a have to, it is a get to. And there's nothing in this life that's more exciting than, than packing up all your kids, getting ready, bringing all your supplies for the, the, the dinner, pulling up to the driveway of your community group on that Wednesday night or that Tuesday night and praying before you step up and saying, God, there's nothing more exciting than coming to, to this house with my family where life change is happening. 
life transformation is happening. See, that's our commitment. It is God being glorified in lives being changed, needs being met. Being met. Uh, that's what we're about. And so you, you guys see that difference when you pull up to the driveway community group where, I, man, you know, it's just that is such a far better why behind why we meet up. This is where life changes happen. I have an opportunity, this group, to lay down my, my needs and, and, and to, to proclaim by how I love one another how awesome Jesus has been to me. And the only way to do that is, is to not do that in isolation. You want to talk about how good God is and who he is and what he's done for you. You got to be surrounded by people. And we're called to do that to the church, to our family, to remind us of the gospel. And we're called to do it to the nations as well, which we're going to talk about next week. So with that said, let me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for, for your love for us. There was, there was nothing you weren't willing to do for us. Um, it's humbling to know that. Father, I pray that uh, we, would, we would rest in the fact that we are your own today, Jesus. Rest in the fact that you have made us clean. Rest in the fact that, um, that you have made us clean so that we can now go and, and be a blessing to others, that you have blessed us so that we can bless others. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you help us to start thinking through the joy it is to, to be the church uh, to one another, to dwell in community, uh, Jesus. And I pray you'd help us to see that you are most glorified in a way in our lives when we take the hit, when we lay down our lives and we get to proclaim to other people that this is how good you've been to us. Now we want to, to show that by how we show that, show your goodness to others by how we love them. So Father, would you do that? Spirit, we need your help with that. We confess me personally, that we haven't been doing that as well as we could. So Holy Spirit, would you come fill us head to toe with your spirit of love towards our brothers and sisters. And may we be a community where the world looks in and says, man, these guys have been with Jesus. These guys know Jesus. So Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us and how much you love us. And uh, we pray this, Jesus, in your beautiful name. Amen.